Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. To the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to read quite a few verses as we begin this morning, but I believe it's necessary uh, to set the stage for what it is that I feel that God has put in my heart to share with you. Um, I, I do really feel that God has given me a word for this house. Uh, I believe that God has been very detailed and specific as to the things that he shared with me uh, over the past couple of days. And I just believe that God wants to speak to you. I believe he wants to stir you. I believe he wants to convict us and challenge us and comfort us. And uh, more than anything, like I've said a moment ago, I don't believe that God wants to leave us the way that we are. Uh, you know, when God's word comes in, in power, uh, it has a lasting effect upon the people who receive it. Amen, somebody. It, it has an eternal, a lasting effect uh, upon those that receive it by faith. And I pray that God would help us to do that today. I'm going to begin reading today from 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, and we're really going to be dealing with things in, in both chapters 16 and 17. But I just want to begin in 1 Samuel 17 and... Uh, beginning in verse 13, and I want to speak to you from this thought today, great victories in unlikely places. Great victories in unlikely places. And the three eldest sons of Jesse, 1 uh, Samuel, excuse me, chapter 17, verse 13, and the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Verse 15, pay close attention to this. You're going to need it later. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for your brethren those who have gone forth to battle, uh, this parched corn, these ten loaves, and run to the camp that they're in. And carry these cheeses to the captain of their thousand. And see, check out, check on your brothers how they're doing, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines 
had put the battle in array, army against army. And the next few verses talk about this man by the name of Goliath, this giant, who would come out and he would begin to challenge the testimony of God in Israel. He would begin to challenge the people of God from believing the promises of God. And so David being present at this battle, it's a seemingly uh, insignificant moment in David's life. He's, his brothers are the ones who are soldiers. They're the ones who are engaging in battle. And David comes to bring them bread and cheese and all of these things and to check and to see how they're doing in this moment. And as David's there, he hears about this giant that is defying the name and the glory of God in Israel. He hears about this giant that is challenging the people of God. And so David spoke in verse 26 and says, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then go down to verse 28. David's eldest brother heard when he spake to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart. For you are come down that you might see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And when he heard, and, and when the words were heard which David spoke, they rehearsed them before Saul. And David said to Saul, verse 32, Let no man's heart fail because of this giant. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Your servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And when I went out after him, I smote him, and I delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I smote him, and I slew him. Your servants, David, speaking of himself under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with you. I want to speak on great victories in unlikely places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, God, and we do so in the name of your Son, Jesus Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity that you have given us today to gather with these, your people. God, I thank you that we have been redeemed by you. We have been washed in your blood, God. We've been filled with your Holy Spirit. And God, we have been called out of darkness into your marvelous light, God, so that we might live for your glory and your praise in this moment and in this hour in which we live. 
Father, I just pray that in the next few moments, God, you would speak to us everything that you desire to speak to us, God. That there would not be anything, God, that would be able to get in the way of what it is that you desire to say to your people in this moment and in this time. God, we're desperate for you. We're desperate to hear your voice today, O oh Lord. We're desirous of a word from God that would come and would change the course of our lives, God. That it would come and it would have the power, God, to rearrange our heart and our mind and to set us on a track for the glory of God. God, that it would have the ability to bring about lasting effects that bring glory to you, God, in every heart and every life that is here. And so, Father, we ask for your anointing to share this word. And, God, we ask that you would give every one of us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you're saying to us in this moment and in this time. And when it's all said and done as we do now, we'll be sure to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. 1 Samuel chapter 16 marks the beginning of a significant transitional period in Israel's history, really the dawning of a new day. What we see beginning to take place in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is a transfer of power, if you will. The anointing, the supernatural enabling of God uh, and his spirit that had accompanied Saul to lead God's people was now being taken from him and it was being given to another. In one sense, 1 Samuel chapter 16 is a very dreary and, and dreadful uh, chapter to read because the man that was formerly anointed and empowered by God to lead Israel into victory and into a greater depth of God was now being rejected by God. 1 Samuel 16 verse 1 and 1 Samuel 16 verse 14, both of those verses make it very clear that the man, King Saul, the, the, the man who the people desired to make king in their midst and God said okay and gave him the anointing, gave him the empowerment of his spirit, now God is rejecting this man. The man that was purposed by God to lead the people into God in, in, in victory and to lead them into greater depths of the glory of God is now being ousted, not by men, but by God. And, and it's all because of his failure to be faithful to all that God had called him to be. It, it was because of his unwillingness to submit to the lordship of the God of Israel. And although Saul would remain king after this moment uh, for some time, he would do so unsuccessfully. You see, it matters not how qualified or capable someone may seem to be for certain positions in the kingdom of God. Without the empowerment of God's Spirit, without the grace and the favor of God upon that life, nothing can be done through that life that truly brings glory and honor to the God of Israel. It matters not how qualified or how capable someone may seem to be, absent of the anointing, absence of, absent of the grace, absent of the favor of God, little to nothing can be done that truly brings glory to the testimony of God in the earth. It is not, it, it never has been the strong, the mighty, or the capable that God uses to further His purposes in the earth. 
It is the weak, it is the despised, it is the broken people empowered by the Spirit and grace of God that make lasting differences on societies for the glory of God. It has never been the mighty or the capable or the strong. It has always been the weak and the rejected and the despised and the broken people who found their hope, who found their salvation, who found their rescue in God. It has always been those people that God has, that has used and anointed to further His plans and His purposes in the world. And though Israel looked for and desired a king that was mighty in stature, mighty in all of their outward attributes, God was looking for someone who was broken in spirit. Israel wanted a king who looked like all of the other kings. They wanted a king who was mighty in stature. They wanted a king whose outward attributes made him to seem and to look like a king. This is what Israel wanted. They rejected the counsel of God. But God said, what I'm looking for is a man who is broken in spirit. And so in 1 Samuel 16, what we see is God seeking for a man who in his brokenness and desperation was seeking for God. A a man whose heart in many cases was not set upon what God could give him for himself, but a man whose heart was simply set upon God. A man whose heart was after God's heart. David, it seems, was, was not a man desiring reputation or position. As a matter of fact, when Samuel comes to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king, he has to call David from shepherding his father's sheep in the field. Now, I don't know if David was unaware that Samuel was at his house, or that David was unlike his brothers in that he didn't seek for reputation. He didn't seek for prominence. He didn't seek for position. He was just being faithful to do what it is that God had called him to do. His his brothers are lined up. And his father's there. And his brothers are lined up waiting for Samuel to choose one of them to be the next king of Israel. And there's David out in his father's pasture tending the sheep, totally unaware and not moved by what's going on in the house of Jesse. But it's in that moment of David's faithfulness. It's in the moment of David's obedience It's in the moment of David simply doing what he knows God has called him to do. It is in that moment that God meets with David. By many, he would have been considered, you read the text, by many, David would have been considered the least in his house. He would have been considered the least qualified, the least capable, and the least able. But this is what God delights in. God delights in using the foolish of this world to confound the wise. He delights in using the weak to confound those who feel as though they have some intrinsic worth or strength in and of themselves. God delights in using the weak to confound those who feel so highly of themselves. And so God finds David... As the scriptures would later testify, a man after God's own heart, he finds David in 1 Samuel 16. And God tells Samuel, Samuel, I want you to anoint David. And at this moment, incredible power and promises are released into David's life. At this moment, he's just being obedient and doing what God has called him to do, and God meets him right there. God separates him. 
And incredible power and promises are released over David's life in this moment. The presence of God comes upon him in a supernatural and in a powerful way to affirm the calling that God has placed upon his life. This is a powerful, life-altering moment. Not just in David's life, but in Israel's life. This is a life-changing moment. God has met David, and the Lord has made it very clear that the anointing that once rested upon Saul to lead the people into God, the people of God into victory and into my blessings, the anointing that once rested upon him has now been taken from him, and it has been transferred to this weak and seemingly insignificant man, boy, by the name of David. God makes it very clear, he affirms to the house of Jesse that David will in fact be the next king of Israel. But what I want you to know is that it would be approximately 30 years before David would assume that throne. He's anointed king given incredible promises and provisions from the Spirit of God Himself. But God doesn't send David directly to the throne. After his anointing, God doesn't send David to the throne immediately or even quickly. Because the Lord understands something that we oftentimes do not. And God understands that it's the making The breaking of a man. God understands that the making and the breaking of a man is just as important, perhaps more important, than the call of God itself. God understands that the preparing of that vessel to be the conduit of His glory in the earth, He understands where we oftentimes fail to understand that His preparation of that vessel is just as important as when He handpicked the vessel in the first place. You see, it doesn't matter how godly How sincere our desires may be when we begin to walk with God. There is still something resident within every one of us called flesh. There is still something resident within every one of us, though we have been called, though we have been redeemed, though we have been filled with the Spirit of Almighty God, there is still something in us called a fallen nature. And within that fallen nature lies every possibility for hell to expose itself. Within the fallen nature of man lies every possibility for hell to rear its ugly head and to expose itself in some of the most tenacious and destructive ways. Left to ourselves, we become dependent upon ourselves. We have a great tendency, though we love God, to be self-dependent, self-absorbed, self-focused, and self-centered. And we have this tendency to so easily forget that the reason for which God has called us and anointed us is for His glory, and it's for the benefit of His people, and it's not for us to gain some position in the kingdom of God. We have this tendency to forget that the reason for which God calls us and anoints us is not for us alone, 
It's for His glory and it's for the good of other people. And so, to prepare us to walk in all that He has intended for our lives, God is faithful to break us. You see, the anointing of God in your life does not come from your experiences. It comes from your brokenness. The anointing of God upon your life, the ability for God to be effective through your life, it doesn't come by how long you've been in a church pew. It doesn't come by how many experiences you've had in the house of God. The anointing, the ability for God to be effective through your life comes through your brokenness. It comes through your desperation for and your dependency upon the Lord. Beloved of God, and I'm speaking to Christians right now, not speaking to the unbeliever, but Christians, beloved of God, you are not where you are at this moment in time because of the devil's intentions over your life. You are where you are in this moment in time because God has intentionally placed you where you are to rid you of you. You are not where you are because the devil has some sort of ultimate power and authority over your life and you're in this hard place and this broken place just because the devil has led you there. You're where you are because God is intent on getting glory through your life. And if he is going to get great glory from your life, it's going to come through great brokenness. God is attempting to rid you of your desire for reputation. He's attempting to rid you for your desire of success and fleshly influence. And, and He's trying to place within us a desire, a pure, a holy, righteous desire to glorify His name in the earth. It's not the devil's fault you are where you are. God is almighty. The devil may be mighty, but God is almighty. The devil may be powerful, but God is all-powerful. God has the last say-so over your life. And you're not where you are just because Satan has said you need to be there. You are where you are because God is determined to get glory through your life. And the way by which he's going to get glory through your life is through brokenness. It's bringing you to a place of desperation for Him and His glory alone. Later in his life, David would understand this. Because he writes in Psalms 119, verses 67, 71, and 75, he writes in Psalms 119 and he says, God, in your faithfulness you have afflicted me. God, in your faithfulness, you allowed me to be broken. In your faithfulness, you allowed my fleshly dreams and ambitions to be shattered before my very eyes so that you could show me by your might and that by your power that you have greater purposes and intentions for my life than I can begin to even dream of or fathom. That's why you allowed me to be afflicted. David said, God, before you afflicted me, I went astray. 
But since you have allowed affliction and suffering and brokenness to come into my life, I don't have a desire to run from God anymore. I have a desire to run to God. And it's all because God has allowed me to stare death in the face and then He's come and He's resurrected me with His life. It's all because God allowed me to get to the place of helplessness and hopelessness and He came and He proved that He was my salvation. It's all because there were moments when I gave up on the hopes and the promises of God but God came and He resurrected hope within me. You see, what's difficult is not the initial blessing and empowerment of God. What's difficult is the process that prepares you to walk in all that God has promised you and empowered you to walk in. I want to say that again, that what's difficult is not the initial blessing and empowerment of God. What's difficult is the process that follows that initial blessing and empowerment. The process that God is using to prepare you to walk in all that He has promised to you and all that He has destined for your life. Even Paul. Paul, the apostle. Paul, the man of God that we herald and we praise. Even Paul. When he was given a thorn in the flesh, he understood that this was not just the doings of Satan, even though Satan had a hand in it. Paul understood that it was the sovereign will of God that he be afflicted for a moment so that he would be abased for the rest of his life. It was the sovereign will of God that He was given a thorn in the flesh so that He might remain in a place of desperation for and dependence upon the Lord. You read 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Paul said, I understand that within me there is this innate desire to become proud and boastful and pretentious and self-consumed. And so instead of bypassing the thorn, God has given me grace to endure the thorn. I wanted deliverance from it because it was counterintuitive to my desires. I wanted deliverance from it because it was not convenient to my flesh. I wanted deliverance from the moment of affliction and the season of preparation because it was not comfortable to who I am. But God allowed and even caused the thorn to come into my life so that ultimately He could get a greater measure of glory out of my life. You see, beloved, because God was committed to the blessings and the furthering of His purposes through the lives of His people, Israel, God would not allow David to be as His predecessor. Because God was committed to the blessing of His people, Israel, because He was committed to the furthering of His plans and purposes through their lives, God would not allow David to be as his predecessor, a man full of self-will 
selfish ambition, self-loathing at times. A man who was consumed with himself, and so instead of sending David to the throne, he sends him back to his father's field. So I want to begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 17 for just a moment. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and were assembled. Saul and the men of Israel were encamped in the valley of Elah and they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other with the valley between them. And a champion went out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of, Goliath of Gath. Go down with me to verse 8. Now Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and you shall serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard those words, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. There are the enemies of God present. And the enemies of God are attempting to defy the glory of God. And they're attempting to destroy the people of God. Goliath here represents a spirit in every generation that attempts with all of its might to oppose the plans, the purposes, and the peoples of God. This, this spirit in every age, in every society, and in every generation that attempts to uh, cause the, the people of God to cower into some backseat, indifferent position, that attempts to cause them to be fearful in their stand for God, and attempts to influence their minds and their hearts to believe that God cannot get His glory in this generation. This is what Goliath was after. It was not just that he was eager to fight someone. He was animated. He was influenced by the spirit of hell itself. And his attempt was to disprove the faithfulness and the power of the God of Israel. This was his intention. It wasn't just to defy someone. It was to defy the living God. To prove that the God who delivered his people could not keep his people. To prove that the God who rescued his people could not rescue them again. To prove that the God who formerly saved his people could not save them again. And the people that are supposed to make a difference and the people that are supposed to defy this enemy are trembling in their boots. This is a critical moment in Israel's history. If this goes the wrong way, it's not Israel's per se reputation that is at stake. It is the reputation of God that is at stake. If somebody chooses not to believe God, 
If somebody chooses not to be filled with the faith of God and with the power of God, if somebody refuses the preparation that is necessary to fight this giant, it goes south for the people of God. So much is on the line. And then we begin reading in verse 12 that there were already people there, but now there are more people that are going to the battlefield and David's eldest brothers, three of his eldest brothers, are, are, are going to the battle. They're following Saul to the battle. You read in verses 12 uh, through 15, the Bible says, beginning in verse 13, the three eldest sons of Jesse went and they followed Saul to the battle. And David, verse 14, was the youngest son, but the three eldest followed Saul. But David went, look at verse 15, David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. It's time to shine. And David, the man anointed by God, he's not immediately put on the front lines of battle. His eldest brothers are following Saul to the battlefield. But David is turned around by his father not to go to the field of battle, but to go back to where he came from and to tend the sheep a day longer. The man anointed and favored by God, the one who has received this anointing and this empowerment of God over his life, He's not going to the field of battle immediately. He's going back to his father's pasture. And for 40 days, for 40 days while the Philistine is defying the name and the glory of God, Israel is trembling in their boots and David is tending sheep. How foolish. How foolish it must have seemed. His brothers are on the field of battle, fighting for the glory and the reputation of their God, and David is tending sheep. And I have to believe with all of my heart that this was hurtful to David's pride. Though he loved God, he had been, and he was well aware if anyone was, he had been faithful, he had been chosen. He had been anointed to be king, and he's tending sheep while his brothers are on the battlefield. How attractive would it it have been to follow Saul to the field of battle? Saul was God's man. He was still the king of Israel. All, All eyes were on Saul. I promise you there were no eyes on Jesse's pasture. All eyes were on Saul and what he was going to do against this giant. The victory that he was going to bring for the people of God. It seems so insignificant for David not to go to the field of battle and at least be some kind of assistance to the people of God. Like you don't even have to fight, but at least go to the battle and be of assistance to somebody there. But David's not sent to the battlefield. He's sent back to his father's pasture. And it seems so insignificant. You can only imagine with your mind right now how insignificant and how futile that must have seemed to David's mind. 
But regardless of how insignificant and futile it may have felt to David and to other people, David remained faithful. Though it ran contrary to his estimation and his thought process, David continued to serve God. You see, beloved, the pastor may seem insignificant to you, and it may seem foolish to other people, but many times it is in the pastures. It is in the moments of intimacy with God. Where God comes and breaks us of us and He gives us the faith to believe Him for greater glory. It is many times in the pastures, in these seasons of uh, loneliness, but intimacy with God where God meets us and He does something in our hearts that literally has the ability to shift the course of generations, to change the lives of communities, to redirect the course of a nation and is in these moments of loneliness and intimacy with God where life comes, beloved of God. Everyone's on the battlefield. That's where the show is taking place. That's where everybody's shining with their armor and their weaponry. They're going to do something for God. But David's in a pasture tending sheep somewhere. And no one desired Jesse's pasture, but that's where God was. No one wanted Jesse's pasture. Nobody was coveting that, that, that position. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd tending stinky sheep or there was excitement on a battlefield somewhere. Nobody wanted that position. Nobody coveted that moment, but God coveted that moment. Nobody was jealous for that moment with David, but God was jealous for that moment with David. It was not convenient or comfortable to the flesh. It ran completely contrary to most people's estimation of where God was or where this man should be. Paul's thorn in the flesh, I remind you, was not the plan of Satan alone. It was the plan of God. To most people, and Paul even testified himself, to most people it seemed useless and valueless and worthless, but to God it was of infinite value and worth because it was able to work something into the life of that man that nothing else could. And they may look at David's life and they look at Paul's life and especially David. David is just anointed to be king. And already, look at the, look at the suffering. Look at the brokenness. Look at the shame. Look at the affliction that he's having to endure. What's the point? I thought you were anointed. I thought you were powerful. I thought you were gifted to be something for God. And it seems like your life is just a roller coaster of events. Moments of victory in a life full of affliction. What's the point? And though no one else went to that pasture with David, God did. No one else went with David. There's no indication that he had servants or help or assistance. Every indication is that David was sent alone. To watch over 
his father's sheep. But there's something that happened in those moments. And I'm telling you that I'm learning that I would rather be where the presence of God is. No matter how ignoble, no matter how ignominious it may seem to most people, I would rather be in the presence of God than in the place of pomp, in the place of prestige, in the place where I can gain to the heights of positions and standards that men covet for and religious men strive for and kill one another over. I am learning to value the presence of God more than anything in my life. And if the presence of God means that I have to be in a place of inconvenience and a place of discomfort, then that's exactly where I want to be. I'm not interested in the cool. I'm not interested in the comfortable. I am not interested in the convenient. My heart has been swayed. It has, it, 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 it has been convinced to be interested in God. Positions, if I ever have any, if I ever attain to any, positions are nothing. But the presence of God, beloved, is everything. And if I'm called to a field, while everybody else seems to be fighting momentous battles, If I'm called to a field while everyone else seems to be used by the power and the anointing of God, if I'm called to a field of isolation with God, while everyone else gains the heights, gains status, gains prominence among their desired circles and in their relationships, if I'm called to a field of isolation with God, beloved, then so be it. The presence of God has become more precious to me than anything in this world. And where He is, that is where I want to be. Whatever that means or whatever that entails, there are just some things, I'm learning this, there are some things that you learn in the pasture that you cannot learn in the seminary, you cannot learn in church, you cannot learn in big groups of people. There are things that you learn in the pasture with God that you cannot learn anywhere else. Things that prepare you to bring glory to your God. All life, all spiritual life comes out of intimacy with God. All spiritual life comes out of intimacy with God. If you want life to come out of you, to impact, to influence the people in your society around you, beloved, it will only come one way, and it will come out of intimacy with God. The faith to believe God to slay bears and lions, they don't come from standing afar. They come from drawing near to the presence of God. The faith to slay giants that defy the testimony of God in this generation. They will not come because we got excited on a Sunday morning, beloved of God. That faith will only come out of intimacy with God. 
I'm telling you, I've come to appreciate the broken place to such an extent that it scares me to death that I would ever have to leave it. I've come to appreciate that ignoble, that ignominious place in the eyes of most people, that lowly place of affliction and brokenness. I have come to appreciate it to such a degree that at times I am almost led to pray, God, don't ever let me go from here. Because God has met me here. I told you at the beginning of this service, there's been times in my life, places that I've walked in the Lord that I would have never picked for myself. I would have never chosen to travel through some of the dark nights and seasons that I have. But beloved, can I tell you that out of every dark season, out of every dark moment of my life, there has come a greater measure of God's glory. Can I tell you that out of every dark moment, out of every dark season, that there has come a greater understanding of the love of God for me? Out of every dark moment and every dark season, that there has come a greater revelation of who Christ is for me. Out of every dark moment and every dark season, there has come something of God that could not have come to my life any other way. And I, as Paul, can encourage you this morning, beloved, though the affliction, yes, it is painful, yes, it is hard, yes, it is uncomfortable, but allow it to work within you a greater measure of glory. This light affliction, which is momentary, it is meant to work for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It is meant possibly to change the course and the direction of your life for the glory of God. It is meant this moment is to work something within you though painful, though hurtful, though agonizing. It is meant, it is purposed by God God to work something within you that will benefit the world around you. Don't run from the pasture to try to get out on a battlefield if God told you to be in the pasture. Beloved, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, beloved of God. Wait on the Lord. Don't remove yourself from the place of intimacy with God for the sake of temporary ease or comfort. Don't remove yourself from the place that God has called you to because your pride is hurt. Because your reputation before people is not what you imagined or you thought it would be. Perhaps it never will be, but beloved, find your joy in the presence of God. Find your hope in God and His plan for your life. Everybody wanted the position and the prominence. And today, everybody wants the position. They want the prominence. They want the favor that God can bring to their life. But few just want the presence of God. Because, beloved, if you're going to live in the secret place, if you're going to walk in the presence of God, it's going to cost you something. 
It's going to cost you ambition. It's going to cost you plans. It's going to cost you dreams that you've worked up in your mind and in your heart for yourself. And the presence of God is going to meet you in those moments and He's going to affirm to you that I have called you to live for my glory and for the good of other people. Give your dreams and your hopes and your aspirations to me and allow me to fill you with mine. Lay them down at my feet and allow me to fill you with my plans and my purposes for your life. And every plan and every purpose that I intend for your life, I promise to give you the power and the provision that is necessary to achieve every one of those plans and to walk and fulfill every one of those purposes. In hindsight, we want David's reputation. We want his anointing. We want his favor. But we would not have wanted the process that got him there. We want the anointing. We want the reputation. We want the favor. We want to be known as a man after God's own heart. But David didn't wake up one day with a heart after God. Yes, God worked in him. Yes, God was sovereign. Yes, God drew David to himself. But the man that you see slaying giants didn't wake up slaying giants one day. There was a process to get David there. You know, the most marvelous trait of David, I believe, is not that he was mighty. It's not that he was noble. But it was that he learned to be a lover of God. He learned to live a life that was dependent upon God. And we see from David's life in 1 Samuel 17 that David, even at the beginning stages of his walk with God, even from the moment that David is anointed and he begins to ascend the ranks to become king of Israel, David learned to be faithful to God in the seemingly insignificant and mundane task of kingdom work. Beloved, sometimes it is being faithful in the seemingly insignificant and mundane task of kingdom work that brings us to places of great victory. We want the victory, but beloved, there's a process to get there. It's not that God is not willing to give you the promise. It's not that God doesn't want you to walk in the reality of His power and of His presence. But God wants to condition your heart and your life in such a way that when the promise comes, you don't negate it or destroy it through your selfish ambition and lust, but you walk in the promise and the power of God so that you could live your life to glorify God. Sometimes it is being faithful in the seemingly insignificant and mundane task of kingdom work that brings us to places of great victory. You may feel as David did, undervalued, overlooked, and unappreciated, feeling as though your labor is unfruitful or going unseen. But beloved, remain faithful. David would have never slew Goliath had he not been faithful to bring bread and cheese to his brothers on the battlefield. He would have never been prepared to believe God for the giant's head had he not been forced to believe God to protect his father's sheep from a lion or a bear. 
Humble tasks and positions do not negate God's favor and anointing over your life. As a matter of fact, they prepare you to walk in greater measures of it. They prepare you, beloved, for the day of battle. You may not see it or understand it now, but what you're facing in this moment is preparing your life to slay bigger and larger giants in your future. What you're facing, what you're enduring right now is preparing you to tear down strongholds that defy the name of the living God. What you're facing right now, God will use to give you the ability to minister to those who cannot be ministered to. God will use this moment in your life to fill you with a hope and a love for people that are bound by brokenness and they're living in shame and regret and in bondage. And God in this moment is filling your life with fresh purpose and power so that you can go out at the day of battle and you can win a victory for the glory of God. I believe that. David, in 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 17, David was simply serving and checking on his brothers. He comes back from his father's pasture at the command of his father. And he's checking on his brothers And then comes Goliath. You see, David wasn't there for Goliath. But when he heard about Goliath, something rose in David's heart. Something that day rose in the heart of David and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to defy the name of the living God? You see, David, though possibly unaware had been fully prepared for this moment. He didn't know it, but those seemingly insignificant and mundane tasks prepared David for this moment. It set the stage for David to win victories that he thought he could never win. It set the stage for David, this ruddy, weak boy, It set the stage for David to have the faith with just a sling and a few stones to defeat Goliath when an entire army of Israel, those who were qualified, those who were were in the ranks of of military status and, 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 and prestige and all of this, when they were trembling in their boots, David had learned something of God that prepared him for this moment. So much of those moments, I'm sure, seemed insignificant. They seemed mundane. Everybody else is on the field of battle, but here I am, tending my father's sheep. But God was there with David. God taught David. David, if I could give you victory over a bear. David, if I could give you victory over a lion. That we're just trying to attack, you know, sheep. I mean... David, if I could do that to protect your father's sheep, how much more can I do that to fight for the people of God? Renee, would you come and begin to play? David shows up to the field of battle, and he begins to ask, is there not a cause? 
He begins to ask who's going to stand before this giant and who's going to defy him as he attempts to defy the name of our God. And David goes on to say, you can read it all the way through verse uh, 27, David is speaking and who's going to face this giant and his brother begins to accuse him of pride. His brother begins to accuse him, David, you're just here because you, you want reputation, you want to be seen, you want to be noticed. I, I know the haughtiness that is in your heart. I know what you long for. I know what you desire. But David had simply become jealous for the glory of God. His moments in the presence of God cultivated a hunger within him to be jealous for the glory of God. And anything that attempted to defy that, anything that attempted to work against that, anything that attempted to oppose the furthering of God's plans and purposes in the earth, David wanted to confront. He was weak. He was the despised one. He was the least expected to be king in his house. But after time in the presence of God, after being faithful and obedient in the seemingly insignificant and mundane things, David comes out with this faith that just trusts and believes God. This faith that says there is no enemy that is too mighty for my God. A bear threatened my life and it threatened the life of my sheep, but God gave me the victory over that bear. A lion came and it threatened my life and it threatened the life of the sheep and it rose up against me and it looked like it was just about to kill me. It was about to claw me and scratch me and bite me. But God anointed me and He gave me the victory. He rescued me in that moment. And if God could do that for the lion and the bear, why wouldn't God do it for this giant? The lion and the bear, they were just affecting me, but this giant is defying the glory of God. And if we lose this battle, the people of God will be helpless. They will be hopeless. The name of God will be blasphemed. And the people of God will never walk in the promises and the hopes that God has intended for their life. God, if you'll do it for sheep, you'll do it for these people. Beloved, embrace that pasture moment. Embrace the season of preparation where God's teaching you to slay bears and to slay lions. And I may just be speaking to a couple of people this morning, but I'm fully convinced with all of my heart that I've come with a word from God. And that God is dealing with you right where you are. And I just say to you, don't try to get out of the pasture. Don't try to bypass the moment before the time is up. God has something for you in this moment. It seems insignificant. It seems worthless to some people that you're still where you are. And I'm not telling you for, to settle for not advancing. I'm just saying that if God has you in that place and you're alone with Him, hear His voice. Say yes to what He desires to do in your life. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah.
There are great victories that come in the process of God. You do not have to wait until the promises of God are totally fulfilled and realized in your life to experience victories. You don't have to wait until you reach the heights or the status or the position that you thought God promised you would. You don't have to wait until you get there to see the victories of God in your life. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary, beloved. Don't abort what God is doing in you just because there's conflict. Conflict is not a sign of death. It is a sign of life. From the moment a baby is conceived in its mother's womb, there's conflict. Muscles begin to be stretched. Organs begin to be pushed upon and forced in different directions. And the closer it gets to that child coming forth, the greater the conflict becomes. But the conflict, the pain that is in that womb, it is not because there's an absence of life. It's because life is there. And maybe you're experiencing that conflict, but I just say to you that conflict is not a sign of death. It's a sign of life. And don't abort the promises of God just because you're experiencing moments of conflict. Believe that what God has placed in you will be birthed through you. Believe that every promise that God has spoken into your life, it will come to pass. In spite of how painful the experience may be in getting there, beloved, you must believe that life will come. That life will come not only for you, but it will come for the people that are around you. You must believe that life will come through you. Because in intimacy comes life. Father, I thank you, God, for this moment that you've given us together this morning. Father, I'm not sure exactly who God needed to hear what was said today, but I believe in my heart that you have spoken to me, God. And you ask God that I would share this word with your people. God, I'm just praying that in the next few moments, God, that this word would begin to have its intended effect in every heart and in every life. God, that every desire and intention that is in your heart, God, that it would be manifest in the hearts and lives of your people today. God, everything that you have destined for them, God, to walk in in this moment, God, that they would say yes to it, God, that they would believe for it in this moment and in this time. God, that they would understand, God, that you're not done with them, you're not finished with them, but God, you are working, you are achieving something through their life, through their affliction, through their pain, through their loneliness, you are achieving something. Something of greater and more significant glory is being conceived and being birthed through their life. God Almighty, would you help them to see that? God, would you help them to see that it was not a mighty man in himself that faced Goliath that day, but it was the least of these. It was a man who was rejected by his own household, 
a man who was looked down upon by the armies of that day a man who was told there was no hope for him by the king of Israel it was through this man that you brought down Goliath it was through this man that you wrought a testimony in the earth in that moment it was through this man through a couple of stones and a sling that you took down a giant and you rescued the people of God in that generation God if you can do it then oh God you can do it again God you can take the weak and the seemingly insignificant people that are here today God in the eyes of the world they don't look like much but in your eyes God they are mighty in you they are strong in you they are overcomers in you God you can take their lives oh God and you can use them God to give us a victory in this moment you can use them to speak to us in this moment of mercy you can use them oh God to, to, to work a victory God in spite of the enemies, Lord, that are trying to defy your glory and your name in this moment. Oh God, you can do it. And God, if you're going to do it, you'll do it through us. So take us today, Lord. Take our weakness, take our brokenness, and God, be glorified through them. God, I have learned to delight in my weakness. Because as Paul would say, it's in my weakness that your strength is perfected. It is in my weakness and my brokenness where you have the greatest opportunity to glorify yourself through my life. And God, it is not always easy. It is sometimes painful. But God, you are so faithful to give us the grace that we need to endure. Oh God. Forgive us, Lord, from trying to spare our reputation. Forgive us, Lord, for being so eager to maintain who we are and to not delight in what it is you're trying to do in our lives, oh God. To not delight in you. God, let us be able to pray as David did in Psalm 27 that this one thing have I desired of the Lord. And that is which I'm going to seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And I may behold His beauty. Oh God, let us be hungry for Your presence. God, I believe that in this generation, I believe, God, As it has always been, Lord, it's not those who are seeking for position or prestige. God, it's those who are desperate for your presence. God, it is to those that you come. It is to those that you minister. It is to those, God, that you reveal the secrets of your heart. Father, reveal your heart to every individual that's here today. God, maybe... There was not much in this message that bore witness with them, but maybe in this moment, in this moment of waiting upon you, maybe there's something that's stirring in their heart. There's a hunger that is deepening. There's a hunger that is broadening in their hearts right now, God. And God, they're desperate for you, Lord. I pray that you would speak to them. God, I pray that you would deal with them. 
I pray that you would pour your grace into their lives, God. God, that you would pour your hope into their hearts this morning. And God, you would help them to see the incredible promises, Lord, that you have for their life. The incredible intentions that you have for them. And God, though in the moment it may be painful and difficult, God, you're simply preparing them to walk in everything, God, that you've purposed for their lives. I believe that's your word to this generation. You're just looking for someone who will believe you, someone who will say yes. And God, we say yes this morning. We say yes this morning. As individuals, as a church, we say yes. Though painful, we say yes. Though sometimes inconvenient, we say yes. Though sometimes uncomfortable, we say yes to you, O God. We say, God, take our lives and do with them what you please. Get your glory out of this house, O God. Get your glory out of every life that is here today, O God. Whatever that means, whatever that entails, God, we want your glory in this moment, O God. We do not believe that you have changed. We believe that you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And God, just as you were intent on getting your glory out of David's life, God, you're intent on getting your glory out of us today. Oh God, may it be said of us, God, that we have been with you. May it be said of us that we've walked with you. Oh God, though ignorant and unlearned, may it be said of us that we've been in the presence of God. I just want to ask you, beloved, if we could for the next few moments, if we can just wait on the Lord, if we can ask Him sincerely and desperately to come and to deal with us and to speak to us, to come and to reaffirm His promises in our hearts and in our lives, would you just ask Him to do that right now? Come on, just where you are in your own way, would you ask Him to come by His presence? So many times we're waiting on Him, but He's just waiting on us to say, God, come. His promise to us is draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. Oh God, would you come, Lord Jesus. Renee, would you sing, brother? Lord, hear our cry.